Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the third episode of the Take That for Data podcast, part of the PHNX Suns podcast. My name is Gerald Borgay. I'm your host, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Stephen Prigione Garner. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We are starting to see the Suns turn the corner and look more like the team that we're expecting to see them grow into even more. Down this latter third of the season, so all is well. Uh, how about yourself, my man? How you doing? Yeah, you know, I'm just looking forward to either tonight when they play the Rockets again, tomorrow when they play the Thunder, or their next game next week of just getting back to being whole again. Because, um, yeah. man, I, I'm sick of the takes flying around when Bradley Beal is not on the floor because I feel like that makes a big difference. Um, and he <laughs> is probable. So. I think so, too. (laughs) Yeah, man, it's a lot to handle. But uh, Bradley Beal is probable for tonight's game against the Rockets. We're recording this Saturday morning, a few hours beforehand. Uh, So hopefully he will be back on the floor and we'll be able to see more of the big three together, maybe even see Royce O'Neal in the starting lineup, but that'll depend. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's let's get started with a couple of things, housekeeping things, because we talked a lot about Thad Young, uh, on the last two pods, I think now, uh, we've talked about him as a buy, buyout candidate. We talked about him once the Suns got him. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to talk about how the Suns have not really used him yet. Um, you know, he's he's only played 19 minutes in one game so far. And he had two points and eight rebounds in that game. And at this point, it feels like Frank Vogel is leaning towards Drew Eubanks and Bol Bol getting the most of those minutes, but uh, I was curious, Stephen, what your take is on this and whether we need to kind of temper our expectations in terms of being just a third center option instead of the guy who might be getting most of those minutes. Yeah, I think as we, I think we both um, somewhat emphasized it when we had our conversations about that and that it would be kind of matchup, not necessarily matchup dependent, but it would be, it would be certain matchups that would incline that would be inclined for his services mm-hmm. um, for him to be optimized. Obviously, he's not going to be out there playing twenty five minutes, um, on, unless it's just some type of emergency scenario. But I think um, I just feel like he's he's in a space where he's just a player. You know what you're going to get from him, mm-hmm. and it's really just about trying to figure out what scenarios that might be posed from opponents that would call for a situation where he should be implemented into the rotation uh versus uh um drew eubanks or uh even bowl bowl depending on what the what the lineup uh constructions are i do kind of feel like that he's gonna always be featured with one of durant or bowl on the floor just to insulate size around him so that he could mm-hmm. be a little bit more active and it would um it would be more inclined for him to be aggressive in terms of getting into the passing lanes and gambling even a little bit more uh just to have that size behind him but yeah, it's just gonna be kind of a um, it's gonna be kind of a wait and see type of thing with that. And, uh, I think that's rather abundant now, abundantly obvious. And uh, yeah, we're just gonna kind of have to wait and see how those things go uh, going forward. Yeah, it, it's been interesting hearing him talk about Thad because we've asked asked a couple of times, and it does kind of feel like for now Thad is on the back burner, and they're gonna you know bust him out if they need to. In a like you said, depending on the matchup if the situation calls for a small ball and they need a little bit more strength than you know a lineup where Kevin Durant is at the five or something like that um you know Vogel noted that 
kind of that vocal locker room leadership is is quote where Thad's presence is going to be felt first. And he has also referred to him as a different type of pitch as a third center. So nope. just the the little things that he said about Thad make me feel inclined that he's not going to be part of the regular rotation until the situation calls for it. Um, which, you know, maybe the situation is that Drew Eubanks comes in and stinks it up a couple of games in a row, or maybe it's a small mm-hmm. ball thing. Um, I think it just kind of depends. And I think we might not see a majority of Thad's minutes until playoff time when they absolutely need it. Um, but anything else from Thad? I, I know he only played 19 minutes, so it's tough to take away much from, you know, one game when we know kind of what he is at this point. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I think um, the template is kind of the game against the Mavericks where the Suns could not play Nurkic for multiple reasons in addition to him having an ankle injury that was undisclosed until going into the Houston game where he sat uh, from last week. Uh, So looking at they played, I think, eight, by my count, different small ball renditions. Obviously, Thad got signed that Tuesday, so two days later he wasn't going to be in the rotation, especially against the likes of Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. Um, But I think that's a template for the type of game where Thad is going to be used because he's, like you mentioned, that that Frank said he's a change of pace big, but he's also uh, a player that can bridge that gap. So now you're not completely going from whether either it's – Either it's uh, Nurkic or Eubanks at the five or it's Kevin Durant. It's like you don't have to go directly to that, like the Kevin Durant save me lineups. You can pre- you can bridge that gap a little bit and still get the impacts that a small ball lineup has, but just have that young out there at the five instead of KD. And I think the other thing, um, just kind of looking at looking at that is uh, the lineups that he was used in that first game against the Rockets. He was used in uh, – when he first came in, he was out there with – Devin Booker, Eric Gordon, Royce O'Neal, and uh, and Kevin Durant. So obviously you get the size in the front court with KD, and then you get the switch ability, which is something that the Suns can obviously benefit greatly from defensively. And just kind of looking at it from an offensive list from that with that, I think he's going to be optimized most when he's matched up with a big that's either in drop coverage or at the level of the screen and putting two to the ball, because that opens up those pockets for him to either get into the short roll playmaking or the finishing below the free throw line where he's optimized. Uh, looking at that game against the Rockets, he first came in, he was with Jeff Green. Jeff Green's obviously switching, so the Rockets in general were in 15, switching one through five. So that kind of mitigated some of the offensive impact he could have outside of offensive rebounding. But then he has, in his second shift, he was able to match up a little bit with Shangun, and he got some opportunities on the short roll and was able to kind of make some things happen below the free throw line. So just kind of looking at that back and forth, when he's on the floor, what type of lineups he's used in and what type of lineups he's going up against. Yeah, the the playmaking in the short role is definitely something to keep an eye on when he does get his minutes because when they use him as a screener in those situations, he's a guy that absolutely knows what to do. I like that term you use, the uh, KD save me lineups. That's very <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the perfect description for what we've seen from small ball now, but I, I do like the versatility that those lineups will have now when you have a Royce at the three or the four, and then you, you could even add Thad to the mix as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this was something that I wrote about over at gophnx.com for our newsletter. Um, you know, we haven't seen a ton of Thad, but it's funny in all of the lineups that I wanted to see before the end of the regular season, I feel like Royce was probably in all of them. So <laughs> he's, he's, he's just been one of those guys that, man, he's plugged in seamlessly and played so well. But Speaking of guys who have played well, let's talk a little bit about Bol because I I don't know where you were at with him coming into the season. I felt like when they, you know, they traded campaign basically to create roster space for Bol And I thought it was an interesting call at the time. I didn't know that Bol would be a legit rotation player. I, I kind of thought he was, you know, a, a, a guy you take a flyer on who has obviously talent. He's young. Um, and in the right system, maybe he could thrive. But from what I had seen in his stops in Denver and Orlando, it felt like one of those situations where you're going to get highs with Bobo. You're going to get the highlights, the moments that light up the crowd. You're going to get a fan favorite for sure. But it, it felt like the lows, it, he's the bowler coaster. Like there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows. And I wasn't sure that on a team that can contend, that was the right situation for him. 
And man, ever since the start of the new year, he has just been completely proving me and everyone else in that same boat wrong. Uh, and this was something I wrote about in a diehard article over at gophnx.com. If you're interested in reading about how he kind of worked his way into the rotation and what he's been doing well for the Suns. But like since January 1st, he's averaging 8.3 points, 5.1 rebounds, and just under a block on 64% shooting. He's a plus 66 in his 214 minutes on the court. Steven, what have you been seeing from Bobo in terms of kind of solidifying himself as one of the first guys off the bench and, and a player that Vogel can potentially trust in his playoff rotation? rotation. Yeah, to, to answer your first question, I was um, – I felt the – he's has like a niche type of hipster – um fandom about about everything that he does and it's yep, understandable yep. because he's a very unique um athlete in terms of stature and his skill within that stature that's not he moves it moves like a two guard and has some of the the skills with the ball in his hands that really suggest that he's a guard but obviously his height and his wingspan he's just a freak of nature <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's he's just a straight freaking nature. We had the we had Kevin Durant walk so that Christos Porzingis could run, and then <laughs> those two walked and ran so that Victor Wimbanyama and Bobo can you know have the the spaces that they're operating in in this new rendition of the NBA at this point in the evolution. So uh, I I, th- I thought there was intrigue there. I didn't really know if he would have a um, a claim to stake within the rotation either. I thought he would be fringe at best, but what I thought the most value he would he would have brought was first of all the size and positional versatility and the defensive versatility. If he can be uh, corralled in to be um, to be consistent on the mental side in terms of staying engaged in the game when he was on the floor. But the biggest thing for me when they signed him was that they didn't really have any pieces that they were looking to invest in uh, in terms of development internally, mm-hmm. and I thought he was a piece that obviously could certainly use the grooming and what better situation for him to be groomed to ultimately be in a winning situation than to actually be in one and to be able to learn from the likes of Kevin Durant, be able to have coaches that are well veteran across the league, multiple head coaches um, from uh, David Fisdale, obviously with the Grizzlies and also the time he spent in skill development and spent around LeBron James, um, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, you know, that the Heatles big three era in Miami mm-hmm. and taking everything that he learned from that situation, applying that to bowl in Phoenix, as well as Frank Vogel, who's uh, obviously had a lot of uh, success with front court pieces or pieces that have defensive versatility. Look at Kyle Kuzma and how much he got out of him versus how Kuzma's kind of looked and been perceived as on the defensive side since Frank Vogel um, was detached from that partnership with him. So just kind of looking at looking at both from that perspective, that's kind of how I looked at him through that lens of being a piece that they can uh, internally invest in with development and maybe not play this season, but going forward, if he was to stay with the roster, uh, potentially be a piece that could be molded into a main rotation type of piece. And clearly that escalated quickly. And uh, he's taking opportunity by way of those vaunted um, scrimmages that the the role players have for the Phoenix Suns at practice where Frank Vogel is walking the sidelines and just watching guys. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where a lot of guys have earned opportunities. You look at Chemezi Metu earlier in the season, Kedebase Diop, when he was in and out of the rotation, earned his way back into it, as well as Yuta Watanabe in stretches by way of those opportunities given at the scrimmages, even Nas Little. Even Saban Lee at this point, who's been having some moments in the rotation. So uh, I just kind of feel like Bo is going to be one of those pieces. He's taking that and ran away with it. And um, you want to talk some Bo defense? Because I would love to hear your thoughts on that before I kind of dive into that side. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like for Bo, he, he's just been playing within his game, which is something the coaching staff has emphasized to him. Um, you know, you mentioned David Fisdale Bowl said that's my OG and he's been the guy that's kind of <laughs> pulled him <laughs> aside him after practices and, and given his thoughts. And um, Bowl said he's just been kind of teaching him the game at a deeper level. So that's been really cool to watch. And, you know, Kevin Durant will shy away from the mentor label. But when you're a young player, young player and, and KD is your idol, idol. <laughs> and then you get to play with him and learn from him and KD's giving you advice at the same time. Like that stuff is invaluable for a guy's confidence. And I think Bull is another classic example of like how much situation matters in this league. 
Um, and not to say anything bad about, you know, Denver or Orlando in terms of developing talent, because they're clearly very good at that. But sometimes the timing matters too. And being, being ready to be part of a rotation on a team like this, that has more kind of spacing than Bowles ever seen in his career. He mentioned that that's something that he feels like is helping him as well. And he said some interesting things at practice uh, yesterday or the other day in terms of like, you know, not trying to go one-on-one, which is something that we've seen him kind of get himself into trouble in the past there where he's trying to go one-on-one or doing crazy things on the break. Um, It feels like he's found the right balance between, you know, playing fundamentally sound and putting his strengths to good use. Um, And, you know, sometimes he'll still throw a behind-the-back pass in transition, but it was on target. It was right there. Um, So you you can live with that, and you can definitely enjoy those highlight plays when they are not all there is when there's substance underneath it. But let's, let's talk about the defensive end because you mentioned it. I I feel like coming into the season, I thought that he was kind of the third center and he would only get minutes if they needed him at the five. And it feels like his ability to play at the four on defense as a secondary rim protector has been really impressive. What stood out to you about bowl on the defensive end? Yeah, uh, I I kind of preface uh, well even before that I think um, just kind of in alignment with something you mentioned he's really cut down on the shackling of fool moments. Yep, <laughs> and that's the that's the mental part of the mental stamina part of what I was kind of getting at um, when we started speaking about him. And I think again the situations that transpired when he was in Denver and not playing much, um, and obviously being a fan favorite even without doing so to the same thing while playing a little bit more in Orlando. Um, just not having the leadership dynamic that obviously exists in Phoenix in comparison to the Orlando scenario. I think those situations needed to happen in the succession that which they did for him to ultimately be in the mental space that he is now in terms of discipline and also in terms of maturity. He's a lot more mature now than he was in those, you know, in those two previous situations he was in. Uh, so I think everything happens for a reason in terms of his timeline. I think he's in a perfect situation now. And, you know, Kevin Durant can say what he wants to about being a, um, being a mentor. But when you're an OG in the league, the stature at which he is, uh, literally and figuratively, there's going to be a gravity that comes with it where people kind of just kind of come to you and gravitate to you for that, that, um, that knowledge. And obviously, who better for him to learn from than somebody that has the same stature and similar skill set. So I think it's a match made in heaven in terms of context of scenario and opportunity and fit. Like you talked about the spacing piece, that really just speaks to the the context being so perfect for ball here. Um, and then kind of just looking at the defensive side of things, um, on the season, the Suns have a 105.3 defensive rating when ball is on the floor. That's 11.2 points per 100 possessions better and the equivalent of the best defensive rating um, team-wise in the league. Mm-hmm. I think that, that screams uh, for a player that needs to be given more of a leash to see how much how much of this is um is true and how much of it is um like potentially situation like early in the season he was really just getting not or a garbage time minutes really so that number can be a little misleading but if you extract the garbage time and you look at it from just minutes when he's in the main rotation that defensive rating is 107.2 which ranks in the 96th percentile mm-hmm. so that that just speaks to the impacts that he has on that on that side of the ball specifically. And I do think that most of his impact does come from that end. And, the, I mean, it's kind of simple. It's not kind of duh analysis. But he's just simply able to contest shots. Mm-hmm. And there, and I, I had the opportunity to speak with Chris Finch uh, during an all-star break. And I was just kind of asking him, like, what he thinks defenses can do, whether scheme-wise or skill-wise to catch up with the evolution of offenses independent of rule changes. Mm-hmm. And he kind of spoke to a few different entities uh, relevant to the Minnesota Timberwolves. But I think the biggest one that can be applied to any team scheme and what he mentioned is independent of scheme. You have to have the ability to contest shots. And, you know, he said, regardless of whatever your pick and roll scheme is or off ball scheme is or what your personnel is, eventually the offense is going to have an opportunity to get up shots and you have to be able to impact the release or impact the vision or impact the line of sight. You know, there's a few different ways you can go about it, but if you can figure out for specific to your personnel what each player can do 
And for a player like Bo, presentation is everything. He has a seven, six wingspan, seven, seven wingspan. Yeah. And that gives him the opportunity to obviously be switchable because of his um his lateral mobility and the gifts he has athletically. But that wingspan, where certain players have to have to close their airspace on a say, let's say Cam Whitmore with them playing the Houston Rockets a lot in a second in this um post-all-star break stretch. He was kind of giving the Suns problems because you have to close that airspace because he's a shooter, but he also is a threat to drive. So that put a lot of players with lesser wingspans in a compromising situation, figuring out how to guard him. Bull gets in the game, he ends up getting switched on him, and Cam Whitmore is searching for space, and there's none there. Initially, he feels like it's there, but then Bull is really good with the intricacies of the game, playing mind games. He has the wingspan. You know that it's circled and bolded and highlighted on the scouting report, but you don't really feel it until you're literally right in front of him. So Cam Whitmore is in isolation dribbling. He's trying to get a pull-up shot up, and he's like, oh, but Bull has the release contest that he could just, you know, from even five feet away can still alter my angle in my release. Yeah. And it's just kind of funny looking at those scenarios play out where players have an opportunity to score on him, but the threat of his contest, even if he doesn't actually contest it, is just impactful. And it's kind of like what Dwight Howard had um, in terms of that type of rim protection as in his prime, where even if he doesn't actually contest it, the threat of it is enough to throw off the timing, throw off the attention to detail for a shooter. And there's just so much positivity that comes in that. Yeah, you know, it, it's the contesting shots thing. It does feel like obvious analysis, but it it is one of those things that when you watch Bull, you understand that there are definitely levels to that sort of thing. Um, because like you, like he's not the most laterally quick guy, but he's done a pretty decent job of containing ball handlers and drivers off the dribble just because there's that looming threat of, you know, one of his whomping willow arms coming down on the ball. If they try to get a shot up, like he's, he's able to close some of the gaps that there might be just because a quicker guard is going to beat him off the dribble, but he's been able to stay with them well enough to challenge those shots, to deter them, to alter them. Um, and closing out on three-point shooters is always a fun exercise because you think you have room, but if he's you know anywhere near the lane when he's coming at you, you better get that shot up quick because he is capable of getting <laughs> yep. his hand on that shot. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been really good. Most of his blocks going back through the film have been kind of as a secondary rim protector, a guy who comes over that the defender is not necessarily expecting or not necessarily ready for him to challenge the shot that quickly just because of the length that he has. Um, but to your point about the defense, the Suns, I didn't want to ask your opinion on this. The Suns have obviously been experimenting with that supersized lineup that we've talked about with Nerd, mm -hmm. KD, Bull, um, and there's been three kind of renditions of it, I believe. They're a plus 10 overall in 19 minutes, so – not a ton of um, sample size there yet, but it is something that Vogel says they're compelled to explore a little bit more. To your point about bowl and the length, like if you have those three out there, basically three seven-footers who mm -hmm. have that wingspan, who have that strength, um, and in bowl and KD's case have you know some switchability there, it's an interesting proposition for defenses. It's something that Bowl said he feels like can be pretty tough on other teams because they're all so versatile because the lineup is so long. Um, and, and this is a reminder, like the Suns are nine and two when Bol Bol plays double digit minutes. So getting those lineups more run here down the stretch of the regular season is a, would be a good thing. Uh, what have you seen from those lineups? What have you liked from kind of the supersized look? Yeah, those, those three renditions being with either, either of the, the centers in the room, with uh, Nurkic, uh, Eubanks, or Thaddeus Young now. Mm -hmm. I I absolutely love it. Um, I can't remember if we spoke about it pre-All-Star break, uh, but I know I was kind of – I kind of wrote about it a little bit with SB Nation, and then I also talked about it on the Twitter timeline too. Mm -hmm. Those are the lineups I feel that optimize Bull most because there's not a, a burden for him um, in terms of being the only player that can provide rim protection on the floor. And he's also not the only piece that has size. So now, if you're looking at it from a defensive perspective, let's just say Kevin Durant is guarding somebody on the strong side in isolation. If Bobo is a pass away and he's showing help at the nail, 
and he's got his arms out, that that window for either a drive or a pass is quite literally not there. And if yeah. you have the audacity to try it, it's either going to be swallowed from Kevin Durant on ball or it's going to be deflected from ball ball off it. Yeah. And in addition to that, the cutting lanes, like the 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 perception, look, thinking about it from a, from a person with the ball in your hands, you got a 7'5", seven, 7'6", seven, wingspan guy on ball, and then one in addition to that, that's one pass away. And then if Nurkic is on the floor, that's another player that's potentially the low man if the corner is empty on that strong side. That's a lot of length to have to deal with in terms of operating generally, whether it's a drive, a pass, or trying to score. Um, so just just looking at it from a presentation standpoint, that's what you want. And for the Suns and the guard-heavy lineups that they use, being able to sprinkle in lineups within a rotation like that helps to see their defense be more impactful and effective um, to which we've seen it uh, be a there's been an uptick in activity in the month of February. Uh, they went seven and four in, in, the, in the month of February, but they were, I think, second in steals at 9.2 per game in February. And then they also were fifth in blocks at 5.4. Mm-hmm. I think that's a natural byproduct of better structuring your lineups where you're having KD and Bull and potentially a center on the floor with those two. Versus it just being KD in the center or just being Bowl in the center, there's a, it's just a there's just a, a a domino effect that comes with having that length and activity, and then in addition to that, the like you mentioned the the versatility that comes with that. There's a little bit more switching you can get into with effectiveness, and I think also the biggest thing for me is looking at positioning wise, having both of those two around the rim. Mm-hmm. In addition to the center, like that's that's rim protection. Like those, all the little things that are missing when they're in their their guard heavy uh, lineups, you get all of that and then some. And I just think there's so much there's just so much value that this team has been missing from that because they were trying to figure out what pieces could actually play early in the season with pieces like Chemezi Metsu and Kade Base Diop, mm-hmm. and those guys are obviously out of the picture now. And you have somebody in bowl that you're investing in. And now you're starting to see a lot of those benefits kind of come from that. And we talked about his defensive rating with uh, when when he's on the floor for the Suns. Um, I think all of those things are really just a byproduct of that, and they're really starting to reap the benefits of it. I'm still curious to see, and I have reservations um, for Bowl, but I think this the toughness, the strength of schedule down his home stretch is going to really be telling. And I mean, so far it's really showing that he's definitely a piece that has to have uh, some type of role within the rotation uh, come playoff time at this moment in time. Yeah. And and I think it's fair to have some reservations with bull at this point, because I still do. And it's not just because I came into the season thinking that he wouldn't be part of the rotation. It's because, you know, based on what we've heard from the team, even it, it sounds like, you know, they they want him to get to the point where they can expect this from him every night. And Vogel even said, you know, there are going to be matchups where maybe we lean away from bowl a little bit just because they're yes. not going to be as favorable to him. And there, there is a difference between, you know, playing really well in the regular season when teams are not, you know, game to game planning and strategizing against you mm-hmm. versus the playoffs when every weak link is going to be targeted multiple times, um, when every rotation has to be on point. Um, and so I, I'm optimistic that I think Bowl can come in and give them positive impact in the, his playoff minutes, but there are going to be some matchups that are just going to be tougher. And we've seen this from guys over the last couple of years coming off the bench, guys that we thought would be contributors who are actually liabilities in certain ways, depending on the matchup. And then the next series, it completely flips based on who you're playing. So I think that's going to be key, especially for this Suns team that now has a lot more options than I think they did before the trade deadline in terms of going small or playing this supersized lineup or just these different looks that Vogel can throw out there. So this home stretch is going to be crucial in determining, you know, what the strengths and weaknesses are of these different groups. Um, before we move on to Yusuf Nurkish, we, we've got a, a center focused pod for you all today. Uh, <laughs> before we move on to Yusuf Nurkic, any last thoughts on both? Yeah, I think I think you made a key point when speaking to looking at things from a playoff lens. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we got a little bit of a preview of that against the Lakers uh, from that past Sunday game. Thinking about Bowl on the offensive side of the ball, we saw him guarded by the likes of LeBron James and Rui Hachimura in stretches. There's a moment 
early in the game when in Bowles' first shift where LeBron was guarding him, Devin Booker had a drive going towards Bowl, um, towards the side of the court where Bowl was. And LeBron was more than willing, clearly, to appeal in early with low help and concede that shot to the strong corner for Bowl. And Bowl was able to catch and shoot with confidence, and he knocked it down in rhythm. And I think that's a big thing for him because he, he's going to continue to see opportunities like that. Teams are not going to respect him to the extent at which they're not they're not going to want to help off of him that type of spacing. He's not going to provide that. But mm-hmm. as long as he's confident in either catching and shooting or catching and taking off and getting into that short mid-range where he's been very, very good around the basket this season, I think it's important to his process. And uh, even a handful of possessions later, we uh, we then saw Rui Hachimura on him. And his uh, reaction to Bull being in the strong corner was completely different than LeBron James in terms of the type of closeout he was able to generate. And uh, Rui essentially ran him off the three-point line, but Bull had the wherewithal to not get comfortable with just taking the shot because that's the sexy thing being the three-pointer. He was able to put up a pump fake to entice the closeout even a little bit more, attack that top foot and get baseline and get into a short mid-range, um, a little bit of a floater or runner. And I just, I just really think that type of processing is important because he's not going to be a fire starter on the offensive side of the ball. He's going to play off of the advantages created from others. And the ways that he's going to be guarded is going to present him with opportunities. Uh, he's also really good with cutting uh, from the second side off of drives and even off of the general attention that Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, or even Bradley Bill might garner on the strong side. So just seeing how he kind of flips and parlays, how he's guarded into an advantage, ultimately netting him opportunities closer to the basket where his height is at his premium of an advantage, I think is going to be important to see. And he's really just been operating in a good space. I do want to make sure that they're not trying to lean on him too much for screening, though, because he is not a player that's going to screen. Yeah. And there's and that's, you know, it's an indictment against him, but it's also a positive because if he's screening for Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Bradley Bill, and teams are putting two to the ball, the screen is essentially null and void. You just want to bring that player that's ultimately double teaming closer to the player that they are going to put two to the ball on. And guess what? By nature of that, he's able to play downhill into a four-on-three advantage on a short roll, which is which is also a dynamic of offense where he's optimized. And he can obviously, you know, do a ton of different things when he's getting downhill. And if there's no direct defender in front of him, you know, there's a lot of highlight reel type of opportunities that he can get into where he's optimized most below the free throw line. So just kind of looking at his usage and how he's featured on offense within the lineups that he's used in, especially when it's more small ball, when it's him and KD in the front court, with no traditional center is going to be important to watch for. Yeah, I think that's a great point because it's not just Bull that's playing with it himself. It's the Suns that are playing Bull within himself as well with the way yes. that they're using him. Yes. Um, he's been really good at, like you said, cutting off the ball on drives and finding that open space for easy dump offs. He's also been really good at attacking closeouts. Um, and I think that starts with the fact that he's been knocking down threes. That is one of the questions that I have heading into playoffs is can he continue to knock down those corner threes, those wing threes to force defenders to close out on him? Um, because you, you know, he's not a Josh Akogi in terms of defenses are just going to leave him wide the hell open, but mm-hmm. you know, his, his three point shooting on a limited number of attempts is at 35% this season. I think for his career, he's like a 23% three point shooter or something like that. So that's my big question. But because he's been knocking down those threes and because defenders have been closing out on him the way that they have, he's been able to attack off the bounce and use his elite body control when he gets in the air. Like guys are getting up underneath him, which is what you kind of have to do, being physical, trying to move him, uproot him from his spot. But he just has the length and the body control in midair to finish anyway. And he's been really good with that. Some of the shots that he's hit on some of his drives have been incredible, but he makes it look very natural because he's mm-hmm. got that, you know, MJ over Craig Elo hang time. That he's, <laughs> he's busting out every time he drives in the lane. It's it's hilarious to watch. But um, those are those are probably my biggest things with Bull. Continue to cut, continue to attack those closeouts off the dribble. And that's how you play within yourself. And so far, he's been optimized in that way. But uh, let's talk about Nurk for a minute because he has kind of become the not-so-secret sauce that has made the Suns, elevated the Suns from a good team to a great team when he's been out there. 
You know, obviously he's only missed four games, but the Suns lost all four of those games without him. Nurk is a team high plus 313 in his 1500 minutes on the court. The next closest is Devin Bull. 62 or a team worst minus 133 when he's off the court. And the next closest is book again at minus 82. So those are pretty striking numbers. And, and I think part of it is maybe an indictment of what they've been getting from the backup center position more so than anything. But like Nurk has been phenomenal. And I feel like there were a lot of, I was even skeptical when the Suns traded for Nurk. Um, not because I didn't, understand the need to trade da to move on from him but it it felt like a downgrade at center and they kept you know telling us it was about fit over individual talent and all this stuff and i got it but you're seeing it for real like on both ends of the court in terms of what this team wants to accomplish with its big three in terms of the screening in terms of the passing like even on the defensive end of the floor nurk has been a lot better than i expected but let, let's start offensively with Nurk. I wanted to get your impressions of him because we, I think we both agree that Nurk's impact and what he does so well can be overlooked by people who kind of just check the box scores. But he really does make a difference on this team. So what stands out to you on the offensive end first? Yeah, Nurk is he's fairly misunderstood. And I think that's where it's our job and the opportunities that we have to bring those things to the light so that he can be more understood. Mm-hmm. And I think this is obviously with us speaking now, the perfect opportunity to do so. Um, just looking at looking at Nurk, the Suns have a 123.7 offensive rating with him on the floor. Now, I think naturally most people are going to say, oh, well, he's spending most of his time in the starting lineups with the big three and Grayson Allen and Eric Gordon and yada, yada, yada. Like, yes, that's that's very much true. But Nurk is a heavy hitter within all of that 123.7 offensive rating while he's on the floor. Who's setting all of those screens off ball at the correct angle and with the perfect level of physicality to free up and pry open Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Eric Gordon, Grayson Allen, Bradley Beal? That's Nurk. And it's it's just it's I don't think screening is given the the shine that it deserves especially in such a pick-and-roll heavy era of basketball, you can't run pick-and-roll. Like we just talked about bowl bowl and the lack thereof of screening um, with physicality that comes when he's the guy that's the proverbial screener. It's just he's he's a space screener. So you're just trying to make guys navigate space to ultimately gain an advantage for the ball handler to get downhill. With Nurkic, guys are coming off shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder and you're watching whoever it is at the point of attack that's trying to navigate the screen Run into a brick wall. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen some of the best screen navigators across the NBA this season with the Suns struggle to get around screens because Nurkic, his stature in terms of the space that he takes up is one thing. But then he's also more than willing to lay the wood and find that contact to create, to get that separation. And he's just a He's a willing screener and someone that wants to. I think Suns fans have seen a few good screeners over the the course of this uh, more modern era. You can go back to uh, um, Amari Stoudemire a little bit. Obviously, that's a different type of roller, different type of athlete. But he was willing to screen to create those advantage opportunities from the then get downhill into. Um, Even more recent than that, you can look at Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler was past his prime from the um, the New Orleans era with CP3 where he kind of made his name and his um, state to claim in terms of that nature. But just looking at the screeners, that like that dynamic of opening up players that have the ball in their hands on pick and roll, you just can't put a value on those things, and they grow even more valuable come playoff time. Mm-hmm. And it's just so valuable. And then in addition to the screening part, when you are putting two to the ball on those players that are that are high caliber from the big three from the Suns, now he's optimized to play in the short role in an advantage. And he's able to finish below the free throw line, which is something he's been doing a lot better. Uh, obviously, it was a question mark coming into the season. He's been, I think he's been a little bit better than I expected. I still think there's plenty more room for improvement there, but I would definitely take where he is now if that's where he kind of is optimized for this season. Because that's mm-hmm. it's good, it's just good enough. It's not great, it's not excellent, sensational, but it's just good enough. Uh, and then obviously the ability to pass out of that context of offense is where I think uh, as a puzzle piece to everything the Suns are doing, Frank Vogel and company felt he was 
um, a hand in glove type of fit. There wouldn't need to be any type of grooming in terms of him playing off of the short role as a playmaker. Um, but in addition to all of that and past just the screening and playing in the pick and roll context, they've been initiating the offense a little bit more with him lately. Yep. And not just in the traditional delay sense where he's coming up the middle third of the floor and they're flowing in the handoffs. They're starting to manipulate the space a little bit in empty corners to where now he's bringing it up in the slot area of the floor. And because of the angle at which that puts defense is that in addition to it coming in the empty corner, it's a different type of space. And if you want to top lock Kevin Durant when he's trying to flow for that handoff from Nurkic, the back door is wide open. And it's wide open because it might be Devin Booker in that opposite corner. So the low man is in a compromising situation. Do you want to peel in early with help and concede a pass to Devin Booker, one of the best offensive players in general? It's going to at least put you behind schedule a beat. And in addition to all of that, Nurkic having a ball on the perimeter is bringing a center away from the basket. And when you're doing it from a spacing context, doing it from the slot rather from the, the top third of the floor in the middle, it's just manipulating space differently. It's creating different angles, and he's able to execute those advantages while generating them with the ball in his hands. And I think when he has the ball in his hands more, it optimizes the pieces for the Suns, puts them in positions that they're naturally just great at in terms of playing off ball. And they're just seeing a ton of the benefits from that. I'm curious what you've been seeing from Nurkic on this kind of stood out most. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the screening, and that's something that Devin Booker said after the last Rockets game. He feels like is a lost art because he was asked about Nurkic's screening, and he brought up Tyson Chandler in terms of being a guy that, um, you know, set such good screens. He wasn't sure if they were legal at times. That's uh, it. And, and Nurk kind of fits that same category, and the numbers back it up. He's fourth in the NBA in screen assists per game. And he is in the 98th percentile in screen assists per 75 possessions. So this is a guy that has been instrumental in getting your big three into advantages out of the pick and roll, which we know it's a pick and roll heavy game. So that is crucial as a distributor in the short roll, as kind of an elbow and perimeter hub. You're right. Like he, they've been using him more as a facilitator. Um, and an initiator on the offensive end. And we've seen multiple times those situations where he finds Kevin Durant on a back cut. Some of those passes have been a little risky of late. I think he had seven turnovers against the Rockets the other night. Um, but for the most part, he's been really good operating in those actions, finding Durant or whoever else on the back cuts. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that dynamic continues once Beal is back because we know he's one of the best off-ball movers and cutters in the NBA, and that's a critical portion for when it feels like the offense is getting a little ISO heavier, that sort of thing. Just get the ball to Nurk, let Bradley Beal cut every which way, and you'll you should be able to find him somewhere with all the other shooters and offensive hubs that defenses have to worry about on that end. Um, but you know, aside from the screening and the passing, he's also been pretty reliable in the post. Um, you know, he's in yes. the 92nd percentile in post up points per possession. And he's drawn a lot of fouls on those. He's a 71st percentile in post-up foul drawn rate. So he's a guy that, you know, the NBA is not, you don't run a ton of post-ups in the NBA to look to score, but he is a guy that in those situations where teams are switching to try and keep an adequate ball handler on one of the big three, he can punish a mismatch in the post as a result of that. Um, and he's really he embraces that physicality. I know he shot eight for 16 from the free throw line the other night. And he was joking after the night that, you know, I was definitely Shaq tonight. But he embraces getting to the line and he hopes that teams will foul him because I think he shot like going into the night. He was at like 69 or 70 percent from the free throw line. So he's not a guy that, you know, you have to worry about a ton when you foul him and send him to the free throw line. Um, but that, that's been, that's been kind of my takeaways from him. He's just this connective piece as a screener, as a passer, he's, he's exactly what you kind of hoped that DA would evolve into as a guy who can operate in the short role, a guy who doesn't need a ton of touches to be happy. Um, the finishing is probably my biggest concern and I'm sure Come playoff time, it'll switch back to, you know, defensive viability when teams are targeting him repeatedly. But for now, the finishing is probably just my biggest lingering concern with him. Um, but I did want to get your thoughts on the defensive end. I mentioned it like, like I, I I've been impressed with what he's done defensively. And I know that there are inherent flaws. There are going to be matchups where they just have to go small to 
mitigate, you know, the, the flat footedness at times, but he's been a lot better than I expected on that end. Yeah. Uh, one more quick thing about him on the offensive side, uh, before we go to the defensive side of the ball, sure, um, sure. he, the offensive rebounding and the way he's able to crash the glass and move furniture in the yeah, paint yeah. is, is there's just so much value because the, anytime the sun's, have the ball, even just one possession naturally off of either getting a stop or inbounding the ball, that's an advantage for them. If they're getting second and third and fourth opportunities, and now the defense is guarding for 40 to 50 seconds because they're getting multiple rebounds and opportunities after that, that is just an impossible toll for a defense to take on if you're trying to make rotations for that long or even guard the ball in isolation for that long. So Nurkic, um adding that layer, to everything that the Suns are doing on offense, the opportunity and potential for second chance possessions and second chance points, you just like, especially in the playoff context, you can't put a value on those things. And I think, in addition to execution from the Nuggets in that second round series last season, they were able to get their hands on a lot of offensive rebounds, and the Suns were put in situations where they had to defend for that long. And again, for a well a well oiled engine like the offense is or the Nuggets, you're just not going to guard them effectively for that much. So just kind of looking at that dynamic and the Suns having that within their wheelhouse, in addition to the screening angles, the flipping the angles, all of that fun stuff, Nurkic is just the perfect type of center for this team. I do think uh, we got to emphasize the turnover piece because I do think that they're at their, some of their best when he has the ball in his hands and they're cutting in, playing the five-out spacing from there. Yeah. yeah. He has to take care of the ball in those scenarios, though. He can't, he can't be turning it over. Uh, like he did in that recent game against the Rockets. I don't think it's an issue, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on if his usage is going to be on the uptick. Mm-hmm. The, the value of that ball security has to be better. Uh, but kind of looking at things on the defensive side, I think you said it perfectly. He's been better than expected. I do think that the the weaknesses of his were a lot louder to the masses than his strengths. Mm-hmm. And I think the first thing that we got to speak to on the defensive side is you can't end the defensive possession unless you grab the rebound. Mm-hmm. And he's in the 96th percentile for defensive rebounds um, that are available when he's on the floor, grabbing 26.8% of those. And like we talked about on the offensive side, again, the extra possessions is equally, if not even more important on the defensive side to end those possessions because of the toll that it takes when you have to guard for more, more than 24 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that moving furniture dynamic that he brings – I feel like in terms of where the NBA is now, there's Andre Drummond who's in a spectrum of his own in that regard in terms of setting the tone and owning the paint. And I'm not saying that Nurkic is on that level, but he's of that ilk because of stature and his want to in terms of pursuing the basketball on that defensive glass and even on the offensive glass and just generally in the paint. I think that template that he put forth in that game on Sunday against the Lakers was – that was like absolutely it from an offensive perspective and even more so from a defensive perspective. Uh, he showed some versatility being able to get up to the level of the screen on Austin Reeves a little bit, but even more so on LeBron James when he was coming off of his pick and rolls, flattening out those actions and even doing so with activity, uh, getting a couple of deflections from that specific context to defense, being more aggressive and attacking the offense. And then in addition to that, the tussling with Anthony Davis in the paint, he likes to get his paint t- his post touches and mid post touches kind of like Kevin Durant does, but with Nurkic being physical at the catch point and then playing with activity and being able to slide and play with physicality after the catch, I think those little things add up and make things tougher over the course of a game when you're going up against a brick wall that's physical like him um, so often. And he was able to do all of that without fouling. I think fouling is something else that's been an issue over the course of his career. We didn't see it as much in that Lakers game. Obviously, we saw him foul out against the Rockets um, in the following game, the most recent one from Thursday. But just kind of seeing him find that balance and being physical to the legal limit like Monty Williams used to preach is important. And I think he's done a solid job of that this season. Um, there are stretches where he can definitely be better, but this team is this team is really good when he's locked in like he was against the Lakers. And I think if they can keep him in that space in terms of scheme, and in terms of how he's featured on a defensive end, it's going to be important. He's also, he was, I think he might have been, he might be second now at this present state when we're recording, but for a great majority of this season, he's been leading this team in deflections. And that's not something I would have had on the bingo card in terms of gauging his season from a projection standpoint. Um, what else have you been seeing from Nurkic on the defensive side of the ball? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the deflections thing because it, it speaks to just his level of engagement. And there, there's still the occasional play where a guy just, you know, he's late to the pick and roll, um, you know, coverage or whatnot. But it feels like those instances have been a lot fewer and further between than they were earlier in the season where I remember there was, you know, the Lakers game where they attacked him with LeBron, LeBron a, couple mm-hmm. a couple of times in a row and got to the rim, that sort of thing. Um, but he he's been more of a rim protector than I was expecting. And, and I think I, I I had pointed out the numbers and there's some noise with the rim protection numbers that the NBA provides, but he had held opponents to a better field goal percentage at the rim last year than DA did last year. And this year that's holding true. He's holding opponents to 7.2% worse shooting at the rim than they would normally shoot. And for context, DA is at 2.3% worse. So that's a five percent difference right there. That's pretty sizable. Um, Nurk actually ranks seventeenth in the NBA among players who have defended at least two hundred and fifty shots at the rim, and he's contesting a lot of shots too. He's in the ninety fifth percentile in the percentage of rim rim shots that he's contesting. So he's been pretty good um, defensively as a rim protector. You mentioned the defensive rebounding thing and how crucial that is to closing out stops. Um, like the Suns' defensive rebounding percentage drops by about nine percentage points with him on the court versus when he's off the court. And again, there's some noise with that number just because the Suns' backup center position hasn't been great this season. But he he's he's one of those like front end loader trucks that moves around dirt. Like he will <laughs> he will move you around and then he will raise up with those bare arms of his and just grab the ball (laughs) it's like it's it's not particularly athletic or graceful but he just uproots people and then raises up grabs the board and that's crucial because in the games that he's missed or the time when he's been off the floor closing out defensive stops has been an issue for this team so he's he's just kind of that physical enforcer and this is more of an off the court thing, but the way that he has his teammates back, like the, you know, blocking Cam Whitmore twice after the scuffle with Book, uh, yep. you know, shoving Grant Williams when he was standing over KD in yep. that Mavs game from a few weeks ago. Like he's not a heel quite in the like Jay Crowder type of fashion, but he is like the lovable troll who's going to have his teammates back despite not being the most athletic or the most skilled player on the floor. And I think that matters for a group of guys who this, a lot of them, this is their first season together. That type of thing speaks volumes about the mindset and character that Nurk has. And that in of of itself is a great fit with the big three, a guy who's willing to do the dirty work and be kind of the protector for those guys. It, It just speaks to his mentality offensively, defensively. And it's something that I don't think should go unnoticed either. Yeah, for for on a team full of nice guys, he has that nasty in him, and he might not necessarily show it in the way that it was shown in the '90s or some of the OGs of the basketball. Um, the basketball watching realm might ne- might want it to be seen as, but he definitely has it, and he picks and chooses his spots to where he's not compromising the team by way of doing so. We talk about the the Cam Whitmore double triple block scenario. Mm-hmm. Following the um, the back and forth with Devin Booker, I think those are those moments are important. He because you don't kind of stumble into those, you seek those out, and he's consistently been a piece that does that. And there's value in that. There's leadership in that, and that's a that's a dynamic um, that's not necessarily skill or not necessarily um, scheme that you need on a team like this. Because come playoff time, the physicality goes up. Referees allow a little bit more in terms of touching of opponents in between players. And you like for a player to embrace that dynamic of the game because you don't, you don't, the Suns have, the Suns, you don't compile a team like this if your aspirations aren't to win the championship. Mm-hmm. You can't get to the championship realm without these two things and being defense and rebounding. And obviously, Nurkic has things to work on defensively to optimize himself with this team. And I think the team has ways that they can optimize them more, which I'll get into um, in a few seconds. But that that rebounding dynamic is somewhere where he flourishes. I think he's. I think Frank Vogel's also mentioned it too. He's one of the best rebounders in general in the game, and there's just so much value in that because we had moments. 
I think both of you as both of us, as well as anyone else that's watched the Suns the last four seasons, where DeAndre Aiden hasn't shown that pursuit of the basketball that you might want from your center. And I don't think we've run into as many of those issues or even close to that with Nurkic on the floor this season, like mm-hmm. you've spoken to. And there's just, again, just so much value in that. But just kind of looking at Nurkic and how the Suns can better feature him on offense, um, we've been seeing them over the last maybe two and a half months of the season find pockets in games where they're manipulating matchups and putting Kevin Durant on opposing centers and finding non-shooting players from opposing teams to put Nurkic on. Most recently, we saw them do that against the Los Angeles Lakers in the fourth quarter, and it kind of set the scene. The Lakers, early in that fourth quarter, the Suns had um, Nurkic on the floor with Kevin Durant and a couple of the other starters. They were going to their horns action where D'Angelo Russell was initiating from the middle third of the floor. Anthony Davis is on the left block, or on the left elbow, excuse me, and LeBron's on the right elbow. Um, they'll pitch it or they'll have um, LeBron kind of set a little bit of a screen for D'Angelo Russell, just a bit of a brush screen, get a reaction out of the person that's guarding LeBron, which was Kevin Durant early in the early in that fourth quarter. And then they'll have LeBron immediately flip and then go off of a flare screen from Anthony Davis at that opposite elbow. If you watch the WNBA, Diana Tarazi has been doing that with Brittany Griner and the Phoenix Mercury for I don't know how long at this point. And the Suns even ran out a little bit with um, in the Monty Williams era just kind of playing through the middle thirds of the floor like that for shooters. Um, but they LeBron hit back-to-back threes in that specific context, and it was because Nurkic was guarding Anthony Davis, and it's kind of hard for him to go from helping off of that initial screen that's a pick going to the opposite third of the floor to then be able to go back and rotate because the help defenders and compromise because of the screen from Davis and ultimately get up a contest that can bother LeBron James. Uh, that's a lot to ask for from Nurkic because he's not the most – fleet of foot from that center position hmm. just kind of one of the the uh, limitations that he has in terms of range defensively but an adjustment the Suns made like I talked about flipping the matchups late in that fourth quarter after the Lakers went to that specific action back-to-back plays and LeBron got threes to kind of close that close that lead the Suns had they go back to that same action in the fourth quarter of that game the Suns flipped the matchups they put Royce O'Neal on LeBron James they put Kevin Durant on Anthony Davis and they stashed Yusuf Nurkic in the strong side corner guarding Rui Hachimura. Mm-hmm. That's a lot more of a natural matchup um, in terms of guarding that specific action because now you have three players that can switch that action that, the, that they're getting into in horns, and that's exactly what the Suns did. They were able to get a couple of stops from that. Um, now, there's other contexts that come with that, and that's Nurkic having to play off of closeouts and make rotations that he's not accustomed to making because he's usually in pick-and-roll coverage. Uh, I think about the game against the Dallas Mavericks where he's guarding uh, P.J. Washington Jr. from the onset of the game, and they had Kevin Durant on Derek Lively. Mm-hmm. There's a play where they swung it, Nurkic, or not Nurkic, um, Luka Doncic swung it to the corner where P.J. Washington was, and Nurkic was put in a situation where he was peeled in early with low help, but now he has to close out, and he's not the player that's going to be able to close out and recover. So he's trying to run P.J. PJ Washington off the line, and he just blows right by him on the baseline and gets a dunk. Same thing happened with Rui Hachimura in the game against the Lakers. So it's just kind of a little bit of give and take in those scenarios, but they have ways by way of that matchup manipulation that they can kind of mitigate some of the matchup hunting that teams like to get into. Um, and then, um, another dynamic of all of that is looking at the pre-switches that they've used over the course of the season as well, where yeah, – yeah there's a player running up from the baseline is being guarded by Yusuf Nurkic that they want to put into action, like you mentioned, and they have a guard from the perimeter switch onto that player that's ultimately going to set that screen. Now they're able to flatten out action with the switch, but also bleed away the shot clock. And I think them finding a way to consistently blend those different types of tactics into their defensive process down this home stretch of the season with the talents that they're going to be going up against is important. Yeah, absolutely. Because the the pre switches were something we saw as early as the preseason as well. And mm-hmm. in a playoff setting, you're gonna need different defensive coverages um, against different types of actions. So I I know that people have been hard on Vogel, and some of it's been fair, some of it has definitely not been. But I do think the one thing that you can rely on him for in a playoff scenario is being able to bust out different defensive coverages based yes. on the situation. And I think that's a good thing to have with Nurk in particular, and also just with the um, flexibility they now have in some of their lineups compared to before the trade deadline. 
I think that's going to serve them well in a playoff environment. For me, the biggest thing is now just getting reps in those different coverages. Um, he mentioned in practice the other day they've been adding to their defensive packages in terms of things that they can throw at opponents. So um, something to keep an eye on down the stretch of the regular season. But uh, before we get out of here, we're just going to take a quick look at the Lakers and Rockets game from this week. Some quick takeaways. Um, our, our producer has a prior engagement, so we'll get through this section a little bit quicker than planned. But um, for me, the Lakers game was very much a blueprint in terms of what the ball movement and player movement can look like. Um, you know, obviously they had the 32 assists as a team and they got up 43s. Uh, all five starters, I think, scored at least 18 points. So it was very well balanced attack. Um, but what stood out to you from that Lakers game? Because for me, it felt like it felt like a tantalizing glimpse of the future, especially once you get Bradley Beal back into that rotation. Um, and it was a good look at Royce as a starter as well. So what stood out to you from the Lakers game? Yeah, that, that Lakers game had some of the flavor that the Suns will have with Bradley Bill in the lineup. And it was the drives for me that really stood out. They got drives galore in multiple contexts of offense out of pick and roll from Grayson Allen initiating offense and just blowing by the point of attack. Mm -hmm. um, they just got drives from everywhere. Even um, Royce O'Neal was able to kind of get some of his drives secondarily into action. And just that abundance of paint touches, that's what you get with Bradley Bill. And one player, and they got that in six or seven different players within the rotation in that game against the Lakers. And you talk about the three pointers, and I think that was that was loud in terms of them getting up so many attempts. Um, just looking at their shot profile and where they should be versus where they are. Mm -hmm. I think the way for them to get to those is not just by obviously jacking them up. You have to mix and blend that into your process. And when the Suns optimize their process, is drive after drive after drive, and forcing teams to react. And depending on who it is that's driving, if it's Grayson Allen driving, that means that somebody's going to either have to help off of Devin Booker or Bradley Bill or um, Kevin Durant. There's going to be a back and forth there. Either they're going to do it, and then that's going to open up one of those guys to play advantage basketball from there with the defense tilted. Or if they don't, that means Grayson Allen has a beeline and a straight line drive to the basket where he could, he could dump it off to the center or get up a finish which he, where he's been – uh, at a career high rate this season in volume and um, efficiency at the rim. So looking at that, the driving dynamic is important for me. And I think that's kind of what stood out most in addition to them, just finding those pockets to sustain and dictate and attack with their defensive um, defensive scheme and with the principles and everything that comes with that from the Lakers game. Yeah. And, and to your point about the three point shooting, when they are able to generate a lot of attempts, it feels like, like everyone looks at their three-point attempts and is like, they need to shoot more threes. They need to shoot more threes. And yes, they do. But they also need to generate good threes. And I felt like that Lakers game was a good example of the ball movement leading to those threes. Um, and just a reminder, the Suns are 5-1 and one when they attempt 40-plus threes this season. They are 8-13 and 13 when they attempt between 30 and 39 threes. And they are only 12-10 and 10 when they attempt less than 33. So a lot of times the three-point attempts number is an indicator indicator of like were they moving the ball or were they resorting a little bit too much to iso heavy ball yes because we know that when they do that you know kd is going to take his pull-up threes for sure but for the most part when kd book or beal are going iso ball they're getting to the mid-range they're not pulling up for three um but the rockets game for me was it was ugly. Yeah, it was ugly. They The first quarter was great. They were fantastic defensively. They were playing really well in that first. Devin Booker obviously had the uh, the pressure cooker first quarter that we've seen from him periodically throughout the season. Um, for me, it just honestly, this might be simplifying it too much, but I felt like make your free throws and that's a 15 to 20 point game instead of you know getting it down to five to 10 in the last couple of minutes there. Was there anything that stood out to you from the Rockets game beyond just, you know, the old adage, you got to make your free throws? <laughs> yeah, it was um, – I think it was the free throw the free throw piece for sure. It was, I, I feel like that's simplifying it, but it's appropriately simplifying it. It's the free throws, the turnovers, and the fouls. Yep. We saw them not excel in all three of those realms against the, the Rockets last week. We saw one of those three, um, those three pillars that we just spoke to not be um, – well, really two of them, honestly, which is what opened the back door and allowed for Houston to get back into the game. 
Um, but I don't want to. I don't want to go too far with that because I also want to make sure we're um, contextualizing it right. The Rockets have the sixth best defense uh, on the season. Yeah, they get after it, and when they go, when they get it down, they uh, Ime Udoka has them has them on a string in terms of um, up in the scheme with activity. And you know, just making just making the game muddy and making it nasty, and that's exactly what we saw. The Suns got out to that big lead early, not unlike the game against the Rockets from last week. And the, the Rockets reverted to just making the game ugly. A lot of double teams, a lot of switching, and that's what I'm looking forward to from the Suns in this game tonight. Can you be better in your process, especially in closing? Uh, a lot of times they were bleeding the shot clock too much and leaving themselves with six or five seconds to make a move and get up a shot at the end of that game. And if again, if they can get into their closing process a little bit better, uh, for example, if Durant and Booker are screening for each other on the ball, get into that quicker, figure out what matchup you want to attack in terms of who's your Waldo and you're looking for um, who you're looking for to attack defensively. Get into that quicker and being able to play off of that, not just getting a shot directly from that action, but if you want to be able to make the defense rotate and kick out from there after you beat that def- that defender that you're searching for. Just being better in their process from that respect is uh, just kind of what I'm looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. I, I think it was a very ugly win, but a win nonetheless. And I think hopefully if Beal is back, he'll probably be on a minutes restriction if he is back yeah. tonight. But I'm very eager to, you know, we've only got 22 games left in the season. So mm-hmm. uh, eager to see him back on the floor and see them build some of that continuity on the other end now that they do have Royce to add to the picture. Um, but I, I plugged a couple of articles for myself this week over at gophnx.com. Steven, is there anything that you would like to plug in terms of articles or video breakdowns that you've worked on recently? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think just following on Twitter, you can kind of see everything. Um, doing a lot of writing and whatnot at SB Nation with the uh, bright side of the sun. Uh, so shout out to those guys. We appreciate them for the opportunities that they provided me with. Um, but also from my um, from my YouTube page, um, and I'll just kind of shout out the at real quick. It's uh, my first name, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-P-R-I-D-G-E-O-N-G-A-R-N-E-R, and then the number three. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. Uh, film sessions going up essentially after every game, just kind of looking at the intricacies and nuances. We're also looking at trends and looking at um, just kind of scouting report perspectives on going down this home stretch of the season as well. So you can tap it with me on there. And um, feel free to always comment as well. I'm always down to talk basketball, regardless of what medium it is, as long as you're speaking from an unbiased perspective. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of all I really got coming. There's going to be a lot of work going down the home stretch. Absolutely. Make sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel. That was Stephen Prigion Garner 3 on YouTube. And you can also follow him on Twitter. He does great video breakdowns over there as well at staytruess.3. That's going to do it for this episode of Take That for Data. Until next time, take that for data.